You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, come be present, living and active, and give us your hope. Um, Give us your grace. Give us your mercy. Um, Perhaps first, Lord, we pray, give us that longing for you um, to to know clearly where our help comes from. uh, be here now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so with the classes, uh, talking to Rita, I've got a deck. Good word. So, yeah, learn a new word. Um, PowerPoint, just going through a bunch of slides. Um, because interacting, a little bit of video, um, some more art, some poems, some hymns. Just a great time to teach, I think, the weeks before Christmas. I mean, it's around us, all over the place. Um, uh, it's easy to take pot shots at the consumerism and sort of, you know, the spirit of Christmas and his heart grew three sizes that day. And, you know, that's theological. You know, it's completely <laughs> wrong. Of course it's wrong. But usually you can get something like, you know, there's something outside which comes in. And we need change. We need hope. We need love. You know, those things, I hope, I hope I have that ear. I hope I'm not so callous that I close off to that. Um, the other stuff, you know, you just need somebody to give you a little bit of help and then sort of, you know, find your way. And all Scrooge needed was a little bit of education, although I may read some Scrooge next week because there's parts of that story I like. But, but parts of it are just dead wrong, you know, theologically speaking. But he couldn't do it himself. That's a good word. We can't do it ourselves. And so oddly enough, you know, title of the class, um, where does my help come? O come, O come, Emmanuel. If there's a verb that's associated with Advent, come. I mean, that's what the word means. In fact, oh, it's hidden. Um, well, I did this a couple of years. Now nah, I forget. On our, on our um, uh, crest, Adventium, I think that's how you say it in Latin, where's Lisa? She's here, yes. Um, uh, Adventiat regnum tuum. How do you say that? So there we go. Say it again. Adwinia regnum tuum. So, your kingdom come. Your kingdom's coming, I think. I'm not sure how it's exactly put. But that's our church of the Advent. Come. Come is the verb for Advent. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Last lines of Revelation. And so, I went to Psalm 121. Not exactly an Advent psalm. And, and a lot of this class is going to be depressing. <laughs> Just heads up. <laughs> It's coming because we need the longing to be felt before the fulfillment is given. Um, and so within Psalm 121, I lift, what great first words. I lift my eyes up to the hills. And they were like looking, you know, pantheism, you know, where, where you know, we always associate hills and heights and all that with, with help. I think what the psalmist is saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills, not enough. Where is my help going to come from? Where am I going to receive something outside of me that I desperately need? And he comes in, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The hills don't have it. The one who made the hills and heaven and earth and everything else. And then it comes through, and I'm going to read all this, but why would you, the scripture, it speaks, and you have to ask, why does it say that? Because We know the need is there. And so the psalmist is reminding himself and then us, speaking out loud, 
to ourselves, the promises of God, that the things that we feel so acutely and so desperately when we let ourselves feel it, that existential, ah, you know, which you, you know, oh, quick, I got to text somebody. Okay, good. Now I'm back to my denial. Um, now I'm back to everyday reality. Uh, when we let that be felt just a little bit more and a little bit more, the psalmist speaks to it. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, parentheses, because I feel like I have no place to stand. I'm all over the place. I'm slipping. I'm sliding. Nothing feels sure. Nothing feels solid. Facing, you know, whatever it is for you. Sin, death, the world, the flesh, the devil, um, the accusation of the law, the history that you can't forget, the future that will never be yours, whatever it is. Uh, he who keeps you will not slumber. And remembering other psalmists, where are you, Lord? Are you asleep? Where are you? My enemies surround me. They've got me on the rack. They're stretching me out. I can count all of my bones. Reminding, he won't slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in, from this time forth and forevermore. And so the first piece of very unchristmassy art. <laughs> um, I've shown this before. Uh, Cain. Um, uh, Cain, of course, the oldest brother, the oldest son of Adam and Eve. There was Adam, then there was Eve, then there was Cain, then there was Abel, and then there was no Abel. <laughs> you know, we didn't start off well. Um, humans, it didn't. The, the good old days aren't, weren't, there wasn't. Um, and here it is in exile because we're going to um, use O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as really our uh, uh, framework um, for the hour, for the class, for the half hour, for the 20 minutes now. Um, uh, and just putting this up with somebody named Shane Hetty. I don't know who that is. Um, I tried to find out. I think she teaches at Boston College. Just a great quote. Um, All existence is one long advent, one long longing for Christ to come, longing for the coming of that thing which is desperately needed, but which is not in me. And here, visually, I mean, just resonate with it. I mean, look, talk about um, eking it out in existence by the sweat of your brow with the curse of Adam, his father, uh, with no, uh, I mean, there's not a plant in sight. And this very, very, I don't know why, the stone axe, this mallet. I mean, you just, this is how they, they fought each other. This is how they killed meat and even the undoing of creation at that level, where now blood is spilt. I mean, it's just very evocative with the exile of Cain now that he has killed his brother and he and his tribe are left to wander. And so we go from there to a great quote from Fleming Rutledge, but with another, um, one of my favorite pieces, showed this too, um, Masasio, 1425, the expulsion from the garden um, of Adam and Eve, another exile. So isn't that interesting? Because we're coming to who, who, who in lonely exile here, O come, O come, Emmanuel, um, deliver Israel, deliver us. Uh, with that, all existence is one long advent. 
and then Fleming Rutledge, um, who's been here several times. Hello, Henry. Um, I'll play. Absolutely. Fleming Rutledge, who gave this sermon um, a few months, uh, well, during Advent, first, second week of December, is that what it says? Um, second Sunday of Advent in 20, uh, 2001, right after 9-11, in other words. Advent. Never has this exceptional season been better time to meet the situation at hand than it is this year. Three months after the 11th of September, Advent is a preparation for Christmas in the war zone. Advent says, here's your, here's your quotable line, Advent says Christmas is not for sissies. Advent says, flatly contradicting, contradicting the Christmas song, all your troubles are not going to be, quote, miles away. Advent says, this world is full of darkness, and it was into such a world as this, not fairyland, that the Son of God came. Advent is the season that forbids denial. So to see things as they actually are, the exile, the lonely exile here, O come, O come, Emmanuel, um, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. This is a remarkable text. Learning a little bit about it, I don't know that much. I wanted to. I think, I think <coughs> we could, could fairly say that the, the text was written between the 8th and 13th centuries. It was added to, like I think four stanzas in the 8th, and it kind of shifted a little bit in the 12th, and then finally came to the way we have it in the 13th, all in Latin, of course, and then translated by um, J.M. Neal, um, an Englishman in the 1850s. Uh, written as a call and response. And that's one of the words that came to me yesterday, um, where here all the verses cry out, come, 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 breathlessly, just like, will you please come, whatever it is for you. And then here, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And we hear the, the cry, the plea, O come, rod of Jesse, all the different words for the Messiah who is to come. Free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Come, day spring, from on high, cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to fight. Come, key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Come, Adonai, um, the word for God who gave the law on Sinai. Come, Adonai, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Rejoice, O Israel. Rejoice, child. Rejoice, my son, my daughter. I have come. I am coming, and I will come again. Um, rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us, God with you, and God with me, shall come to thee, O Israel. I was going to play a uh, video, but we're not going to do that. Um, uh, that had the song, but just for time, because it's a four and a half minute song. So here again, we see the exile struck me again yesterday for the first time. How did I ever miss this? Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, and then just Cain. First four people in existence. Three of them are living, and all of them are exiled. That's the story that we start. Isn't that crazy? Page 1, 2, 3, 4, Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, really Genesis 3 and 4, exile, exile. 
And so here, come, O come, Emmanuel, that mourns in lonely exile until the Son of God appears. And then Paul, very unsentimentally, he's just not sort of a, a sentimental thinker when it comes to Christmas. Um, uh, these words, we talked a little bit last week about some of the great but gods that Paul has. Well, here's another one that's going to come out in the second half of Ephesians 2. Hear this in the exile. Hear this word if you're putting yourself somewhere in these pictures of being pressed out. I mean, I didn't talk about this. I mean, that's amazing. Look at that pain. Look at that shame. Look at that horror. Look at that Advent is not a season for denial. They know, Adam and Eve no, what have I done? Valjean's words, what have I done? Sweet Jesus, what have I done? And it is unvarnished, fully felt, fully known. And then the gospel comes out and speaks this thunderous words. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, here's the coming, here's what's come. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How much would they long for that word? You who once were, now you are near. Now you belong. Now you are mine. For he himself, Christ, is our peace and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, so making peace, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. So then, you are also no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Um, and then another verse. O come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Um, some of us have seen this. It's in the uh, huge piece. I think it's 15... 15 feet by 20 feet in um, uh, museum in Munich, um, uh, one of Rubens' um, massive pieces, The Great Judgment. I think I showed this last year. I can't remember. Uh, but here is Christ coming again, the second advent. When we say that Christ will come again, I mean, there we go. Um, uh, coming down this time, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord. No ambiguity. The song, What If God Was One of Us? It's great, fine, whatever. But when he comes again, when he comes to reign, heaven and earth shall flee away, every eye shall be opened, every ear shall hear, and everyone unmistakably will know exactly who that is. We don't have to worry that God is going to come and we might miss it. That's not going to happen. We won't miss it. You won't miss it. He's going to come down robed in terror and majesty. And here on his right, our left, those who are resurrected, if you were with her last week, the resurrected body, we don't know how, we just know that it will. Coming up with Mary and Moses, um, and then those that are going down to perdition. We've got Angel Mike, uh, Michael, and we've got the trumpets and everything. Just a lot going on with this motion of the, uh, the great and final judgment. But we hear this, hear the detail of Christ coming with his with Mary, the mother of God, at his right hand, um, coming down with, uh, 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 with terror and majesty. Charles Wesley, we've sung this, I think, last two Sundays, in fact. Did we this morning? I, didn't, I, wasn't, all, I wasn't at the whole of nine. Um, Lo, he comes with clouds descending. That's the second advent, not the first. Um, Lo, he comes with clouds descending once, once for every sinner slain. 
thousand, thousand saints attending swell the triumph of his train. And he's going to have this, <coughs> this repetition. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ reveals his endless reign. Um, uh, Every eye shall now behold him, robed in glorious majesty. Those who sat at naught and, and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree. Deeply wailing, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall their true Messiah see. Those dear tokens of his passion, his scars, still his dazzling body bears, cause of endless exultation to his ransom worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture, with what rapture, gaze we on those glorious scars. Yea, amen, all adore thee. Um, high on thy eternal throne, Savior, take thy power and glory, claim the kingdom as thy own. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Thou shalt reign, and thou alone. Um, just to hear the words, that's all I'm trying to do. So we hear them again, driving around, uh, or come back next Sunday, or you're going to 11, just to have a visual, a connection, a feeling to the words, to what, let it wash, let it, let it lift. Let it take. Um, because come thou key of David, make safe the way that leads on high and close the math path to misery. I'm not that much into poetry, but maybe I'm kind of playing with it a little bit. Um, John Berryman, does that name anything, anybody? Um, American poet, um, tragic life. Got this on Wikipedia. I've used him before, but it's been a long time. Um, father committed suicide when he was 12. He himself was married three times, battled addiction. I think one of his wives died, um, was depressed, maybe even bipolar, and ended up himself committing suicide. Tragic life, tragic life. Um, again, depressed until it's not, because the good news is coming. Um, we heard it from Paul a little bit, but, but here we are again. Come thou, key of David. The key of David, the, the, the one who, who unlocks the door, as it were, into the family of David, to belong to the son of David. Make safe the way that leads on high and clothe the path to misery. It was the misery part that made me go to John Berryman, um, just thinking about that, that sad, sad life. It's just, it, just, it just racks me when I hear of a life like that. Um, and he comes with, in an unusual way, with this poem. Um, he's talking about, I think, most of existence just being what he calls bored. I'm heavy bored. There's no luster. There's no color. There's no companionship. I'm all alone. I'm cane wandering, scratching with thistles and thorns. And I just need, I don't even know what it is. And he goes through, and in his way, because it's going to come down to this dog, the dog at the end of the poem is probably, probably representative of everything that he doesn't have. And this dog, this stupid dog, is just walking away, and he can't do anything about it. And so I think that's where he's going. Life, friends, is boring. We must not say so. That's kind of his mom talking in his head. After all, the sky flashes, the great sea yearns. It can't be boring. Think about the grandeur of nature. You can't call that boring. He's like, I am. I'm bored. After all, the sky flashes, the great sea yearns. We ourselves flash and yearn. And moreover, my mother told me as a boy, repeatedly, 
Ever to confess your board means you have no inner resources. I conclude now, I have no inner resources because I am heavy bored. People bore me, literature bores me, especially great literature. Henry bores me. Henry is the muse of this whole sort of poem series. And so Henry is based, there you go. Not Henry Siebels, he does not bore me. Um, uh, I bore myself, is what Henry is saying. Henry bores me with his plights and gripes as bad as Achilles, who loves people and valiant art, which bore me. And the tranquil hills and gin, even alcohol doesn't do it for me anymore, um, look like a drag. And somehow a dog has taken itself and its tail considerably away into mountains or sea or sky, leaving behind me. Wag. <laughs> the wag part. I don't get it. I think it's the tail and everything in this dismissive action of a dog that's going away. It's just kind of, it's, not, it's just like dismissed. And this stupid dog has that kind of power over me with the wag of his tail. Something like that I can approach and climb into and just say, you poor man, you poor man. I want to tell you, you who once were far off have been brought near. This world is not all there is. It won't be the last word. Someone is coming. Someone has come and is coming again who will deliver you from this heavy, oppressed boredom. Um, how much time do we have? Uh, this is worth Googling. Um, uh, Christmas is for those who hate it most. Um, a guy named Matt Redmond, who's from Birmingham, in fact. I've talked to him a couple of times. He wrote a book. We, I think it's just not available anymore. Um, uh, I think it was just called Ordinary. Um, an Ordinary Life or something like that. Great way to think about it. I'm just going to summarize it. It's worth Googling. Christmas is for those who hate it most. What do we think of? Christmas is for children. Oh, this is so much fun. So they can get up at 6.15. For about seven minutes, they're happy, you know. And then, you know, then everybody's mad because they got sugar and no sleep. And Or Christmas is for friends and family uh, and nice outfits and nice homes. And, and there's, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. But Christmas is for those who hate it, who dread coming to it, who dread coming up on yet another year without so-and-so, who dread coming up on another year where uh, what they want to do, they can't do, who they want to be, they're not. Um, all the things that are unfulfilled just get worse. They don't get better. Christmas is for, for me, <laughs> for those who hate it most. Christmas is for you and that part of you and that part of me that can't abide it, for prostitutes, adulterers, and porn stars who long for love in the wrong place, for those who traffic in failed dreams, for those who have squandered the family name and fortune. They want, quote, home, but can't imagine a gracious reception. Christmas is for parents watching their children's marriage fall in disarray. Christmas, Christ coming, Christ being here, Christ our deliverer who came into this world to deliver us from the the, the pain of sin and evil and death. Um, Christmas is for those who hate it most. Um, and then we start to come in. Um, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We are. We're going to finish. I can't believe um, that we start to hear. We start to hear the light breaking through. Um, 
Uh, o come, Adonai, the law-giving God, Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. And staying with Paul, just because we can, because um, it's great. Very unsentimental. Paul doesn't tell the Christmas story. We don't get, you know, when you know, uh, angels visited shepherds, and then there was, you know, ox and chickens and everything around the baby Jesus, and oh, sweet baby, you know. Just very unsentimental. Something like the law until Christ, Galatians 3.24. Christ is the end of the law. Or Paul's shortest way, I think, for Galatians 4. This is how Paul approaches Christmas. This is the Christmas story, according to Paul. When the fullness of time had come, in the reign of Caesar Augustus, when Tiberius was governor and Quirinius, da, 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 da. when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. He doesn't just tell the story. He says, why did Christ come? So we might receive adoption as sons. Men and women both, sons, who get the stuff. It's not right, just saying what it is. Sons, get the stuff. And because you are sons, God has given the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father that longing fulfilled. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Christmas has come so that we might receive. And this is just the teaser. Um, somebody remember, you know, good feedback. Class last year, did I use this a lot? Sorry, <laughs> I'm back. You know. um, Henry Tanner, 1898, African-American artist. Um, I want to go to Philadelphia just to see this piece. It's starting to really occupy my soul the last couple of years. Called the Annunciation. And it gets everything that Paul had. Um, here, let's stand over here. If you can't see it with the glare and all that. I mean, simple Mary. And what do you not see? There's no halo. She's not um, the, uh, the, the Theotokos, the mother of God, the God-bearer. Um, it's not an icon. Obviously... She's just been awoken. Everything's, everything's apportioned. It's very simple, except all the frumps. Everything's sort of in a hurry. I mean, putting your feet down so that the, the rug slides. Everything's there. And here's an angel. I think he did a good job saying, what does Gabriel look like? I don't know. But it's probably this. There's going to be something that says, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. It's okay. I didn't come to melt your brain. You know, I have something to tell you. I have gospel. I have good news uh, of great joy. And this 14-year-old, the only light in the room, pitch black, dark, till the angel comes in, starts to light everything up, and she sits. And look, this is what I'm just fascinated with how people can do this who are artists. I mean, you can just kind of feel her supplication, her let it be unto me, her yielding, her, uh, her submission. In the best sense of the word, clasped hands, gently bowed, head turned. She's looking at Gabriel. And then, can you see? Let me dim the lights real fast. It's worth doing this. Um, the cruciform figure. Because where does Mary, where is Mary at the end of her son's life? at the foot of the cross, which is probably about the same proximity. We normally think of the cross very high. We don't know. A lot of crosses, it just what's the 
best way to do something most efficiently? Least amount of energy. It's got to be a few inches off the ground. You know, and so Jesus is right here. Perhaps. We're talking about Mary at the foot of the cross. It could be like right here. We don't know. But here, this cruciform, you really can't see it. It's worth Googling. You can almost see this, this beam of light, and it splits with some legs. And what do you see there with the shelf? It's cross. Prefiguring the cross, Simeon, who rejoiced um, that the prophecy was fulfilled, that his eyes would see his Savior before he died. as an old man in the temple. And he comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are the mother of my Lord. And a sword is going to pierce your soul. And there she is. There she is. Little girl standing at the foot of the cross. Her son, who is her savior. What a strange world, huh? Um, her son, who is her savior, uh, being, being announced. And as we'll talk more about this, I bet this comes up with just some sense of the longing. The longing. Come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Can we pray that prayer? Is that okay? Can we pray that prayer? Can I ask you, Lord, to do something for me that I have no right to do, no real merit or bearing to do that? Would you ransom my life um, with your son? And that's our prayer. So let's pray. Lord, take these words, humbly offered, feebly offered, um, and by the power of your gospel, um, bring it back to our minds so that this Christmas, the next couple of weeks, we would, uh, we would feel um, in a real and tangible way your work being wrought in our lives. Um, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.